Hello and welcome to Policy Voices by Friends of Europe, an independent think tank with a difference. Each week from Brussels, we bring you powerful conversations with policy voices from around the world. Policy Voices talking policy choices. General Secretary's position is important, but final decisions in NATO and ownership of NATO lies behind the member states. The leadership in member states defies the NATO leaders' or general secretaries' uh, actions. From this point of view, what most important is not who will be the general secretary in NATO, but who will be uh, the heading of each uh, member state, including United States. She is known as the Iron Lady of the Baltics. Dali Griboshkaita served as president of Lithuania for 10 years and was once tipped as the next secretary general of NATO. But her hardline stand on Russia proved to be too much for some leaders. In this episode of Policy Voices, Dali Griboshkaita did not hold back, calling Russia barbaric, terrorist and war criminal states. I'm Katerina Villanova, host of Policy Voices, Friends of Europe's weekly podcast on European and global affairs. As we approach the two-year mark of the war in Ukraine, I spoke with Dali Griboshkaita, who is also a former European commissioner, and asked her if she believes it is time to put NATO boots on the ground in Ukraine and who she thinks should be the next leader of the alliance. Stay on that side to hear my conversation with Dali Griboshkaita, the Iron Lady of the Baltics. Madam President, good morning and welcome to Policy Voices. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Surviving. Uh, that's my usual answer. Uh, okay, thank you very much. So, Madam President, we are uh, fast approaching the two-year mark of the Ukraine war. Is it more important now than ever to continue and strengthening support for Ukraine and why? It was important uh, in the very beginning uh, to not only support, but to help uh, ourselves the first only then ukraine to beat russians uh, from such kind of intentional aggressive uh, behavior we missed this opportunity we missed this opportunity all these two years and still we are missing this opportunity and allowing russia to go further to damage more and to kill more people in ukraine so that's uh, what we're doing uh, unfortunately uh, friends of europe launched just this week the ukraine initiative uh, madam president you are a member of the high level steering group of this ukraine initiative what do you hope to achieve with the ukraine initiative in the coming two years there are a lot of initiatives in a lot of uh, think tanks and organizations and i welcome this i try to participate not only in friends of europe initiative in others also because we need voices we need uh, people who are able to uh, push uh, governments uh, to do necessary uh, things and uh, to uh, impact the public opinion to be supportive uh, to the end uh, for Ukraine's uh, vital interest. But uh, the main thing, what I want to uh, mention, that it is not about Ukraine, it is about ourselves, about uh, Europe, because Ukraine is defending as a barrier against the aggressor uh, towards Europe. Uh, they're doing this job instead of us. Uh, they're dying instead of us. And this we need to uh, cherish value and uh, understand every minute of our life. 
this warning that you have been very vocal and outspoken about that the war in Ukraine is not just about Ukraine, but it's also about the future defense of Europe. You've been very vocal about this warning, but what are the consequences of um, if Europe and Western states don't continue supporting Ukraine? The consequences not only for Ukraine, but also for Europe and the Western world at large. I all the time treat uh, this um, dangerous situation with war against Ukraine as war against Europe, especially against us on the frontier of uh, in East Europe. And this danger we understand as our own danger. And that's how we look uh, to the war in Ukraine and the behavior of Russia. So from this point of view, uh, we are supporting ourselves. We're supporting and investing into our peace for now. Uh, but situation could become more dangerous. And this year will be very, very important in Ukraine because there is some kind of stalemate and the point where we do not know uh, how uh, war will turn and to what direction will turn. Usually uh, the war has its own life, especially if it is long war uh, with the ups and downs. This is um, very natural and you never know what will be behind another uh, point. But uh, our uh, assistance, our support needs to be increasingly large because it's too long already, the war. It's too uh, expensive already, the war. It's too damaging already. And how long we will look uh, from outside and, and, and thinking that it's not yet on our territories. That means it's not so important and dangerous. But it will be. If we will allow uh, Ukraine to, to fall, uh, the war will be in our territories. And we need to understand it very, very much. And uh, not only Europe. We are in the very um, serious geopolitical turmoil. It's not only about European uh, defense and security. It's also about security around the world and how the NATO uh, countries, the leaders in NATO, will will understand and will uh, react uh, to these dangers, will uh, influence not only situation in Europe, but in, in our nearest neighborhood, in, in, in Middle East, in, in other regions, which will direct Directly influence us, if not directly via military uh, results. So it could be uh, increase of migrants, uh, increase of uh, other um, dangers as informational, propaganda, cyber security. Uh, so this all we already are facing, uh, interference in our elections, all this we're already facing before the war came to our territory. It came to our uh, minds, it came to our hearts already a few years ago. At least in our region, in Baltic states, we felt it immediately um, after Crimea occupation, after 2014. So in reality, we're already in this uh, conflictual and dangerous situation uh, from 2014. You have also been quite critical about Western countries not doing enough to support Ukraine. Of course, there's different types of supports that can be provided to Ukraine. But uh, and in here, I would really like you to be specific on what would you like uh, NATO as an organization to do that it hasn't done yet? Uh, as uh, NATO and of course the members, we were from the very beginning trying to create red lines for ourselves, not to overstep. And then we were changing these red lines and pushing them forward, forward and forward. And we started from the helmets, 
symbolic non-lethal support, then realize that it is a mistake. Now we are, of course, providing lethal weaponry, but again, we have the limits. Short range, middle range, not uh, target this target or another one. And finally, we're going further and further because we realize that it's not sufficient and, and we're not helping Ukrainians to win because it's not enough for Ukrainians to allow or to help them not to sink. It's about... Ukraine and us to win against aggressor, but of course not overshooting the borders, but on the ground, in on Ukrainian soil. Nobody from our side and from NATO needs to be too aggressively uh, threatening our neighborhood, no. But we need to protect our territories and we need to protect our partners. And in Ukraine, we're protecting ourselves. And that's very clear more and more. And if we were able to have an illusions that uh, Russia is civilized country, this war showed that Russia is not a civilized country. It's barbaric, terrorist, and war criminal state. And that's how we need to look to this and correct our behavior accordingly. That means we need to support with all equipment necessary, as Europe decided also financial assistance as necessary, but to win and fast. Because the longer the war is, the more is expensive, the more uh, damaging, and a lot more loss of lives. And this is price which in 20th century, is a pity that we are allowing such a huge price to be paid. And I myself personally never thought that Europe could fall again in 21st century to such bloody and expensive and, 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 and difficult uh, uh, war. Never thought that it is possible at all. And uh, seeing that we are on the different level of civilization thinking and we're facing barbaric country and we do not have enough uh, political willingness to fight it back in full force. They are already changed all their economy, Russia, uh, on the military uh, base, and they're spending more than 30% uh, of their budget for military purposes. And we still are, are talking, mainly talking. And our uh, assistance is still symbolic, not allowing Ukraine to push Russians out of their territory. The, 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 what is happening on the ground really shows our uh, uh, and evaluates our uh, actions. And this um, shows that if Ukraine is not able to push Russians out, that means we're not supporting enough. That's a simple answer. And then technicalities and details, that's for military. Let's leave it for military to decide and to, to, to explain how much and what exactly they need. But, but the, the situation on the ground shows that we support it not sufficiently. We're still discussing. In some our countries already, uh, the opposition is growing, because some kind of element of fatigue uh, against the war. And also there is in most of our societies, we are too spoiled by uh, good life and the standard of living. And uh, a lot of our a part of our population don't want at all to, to, to be involved in wars or to fight. But uh, the barbaric country is not asking for permission to fight. They will fight if we will not stop that. 
that's the difference between our mentality in the West with good living and uh, already forgotten uh, Second World War. Even Cold War is forgotten. But now we're facing decades of confrontation with such a barbaric neighbor. And this is clear that the new Cold War is happening already now. Only what we at least be hoping not to have hot war on our territories. But the Cold War is already happening. So, and uh, no matter how we call, call it, uh, these uh, elements of cyber attacks, ideological propaganda attacks, interference in our elections, no matter how we call it, but it is already Cold War. Would you go as far as calling for NATO boots on the ground in Ukraine? I think. Um, uh, no matter how we name what we are doing already, but the heavy equipment on the ground is already on the ground, except the personnel. So from this point of view, we do have boots on the ground, what we need, of course, and we will. Okay, so let me be more precise and ask you the question concretely. Would you, are, would you go as far as calling for NATO army personnel to be physically involved in the war in Ukraine, fighting alongside Ukraine? Yeah, I don't think it is not necessary until now. What uh, the most Ukrainians even now not asking for that. And uh, they're asking for uh, appropriate uh, equipment and and uh, missiles and uh, airplanes and all necessary, including the financial assistance, which we are not providing appropriately. So I don't think that it is necessary for uh, physical uh, presence of the people yet. But, uh, but uh, as I said, it will be silly if we will allow Russians to come to our borders. It will be silly. A very crucial word that you use twice is yet. Do you see as inevitable that NATO countries will be, as you put it, physically involved in the war at some point? If there will be such weak leadership, what we're seeing today on both sides of Atlantic, if we will see such kind of leadership, Putin will not ask for permission but he will involve us into direct conflict. So why? It is about leadership also. It's not only about what we're providing. It's about uh, courage to take responsibility for our security. And for that, if it is necessary, for leader will be the decision to go into direct confrontation and stop on the ground while we still have time on Ukrainian ground before it will be necessity to stop on our ground. So it's about leadership. And today, the, the world, I'm sorry, it's, it's even a pity to see uh, what's happening uh, in the US and what's happening in some of our countries. While Europe now is uh, more and more concentrating and understand a necessity for European responsibility, to invest into our own security and this is very good but it's still slow and not enough but uh, if we seeing one country's example which started from helmets and now is giving uh, heavy equipment so it is a progress in two years but as i said probably no matter even what outcome of elections will be in us no matter uh, for europe the responsibility for uh, to invest and to secure ourselves by ourselves will be increasingly, increasingly large. And we will need to uh, invest more into our defense, revive our defense industry, and to protect ourselves the first. 
we'll move to the other side of the Atlantic in just a bit, but I still have one question uh, for you regarding NATO. Sweden uh, is still not uh, a NATO member, is still waiting for ratification from Hungary. By the time this podcast is released, uh, I, we're all assumed that this situation will still be the case. Uh, Orban has, uh, has said before that he would not be the last one standing in the way of Sweden joining NATO, but this is the case. As it, as it stands, of course, it's worth mentioning that Orban has close ties with Putin. A while back, he was the first, pre the first leader of a EU member state. Uh, shaking hands, uh, it was photographed shaking hands with Putin, the first one, the first EU leader doing so since the Ukraine war began. Um, has this process of Sweden joining NATO and how it has been dragging put a dent on Western support to Ukraine? And what message does it send to Putin? Messages uh, for Putin not very good from this point of view that we're still discussing, we're still could be divided in some decision-making process. It could be prolonged and jeopardized. So, and uh, for Putin, it's of course, it's uh, uh, perfect, uh, perfect um, gifts uh, we are presenting with our decisiveness and lacking of political will and how long it takes. But as democracy and how we are uh, via discussions, through the discussion, achieving some final goals, finally we're achieving them. Uh, but it, it takes too long. But but it, it is not really important one or another country which is more or less negative, let's say, or, or is talking or not helping in decision making. Because uh, as we had an experience, if will be necessary, uh, the group of countries will start to react first. And then others will join. And from this point of view, we a large organization, NATO, large organization, European Union more and more also investing into its uh, own defense via budget, via policies. Uh, from this point of view, let's uh, enemies not to be too happy. Uh, with discussions, yes. Uh, with different opinions, yes. But we will find and, and we will achieve final uh, decisions anyway. So from this point of view, uh, enemies, let's not exaggerate our differences because we have more, uh, not differences, but more goals and values which unite us. The Republicans in the Senate of the United States have just blocked a bill that would provide combined funding to both Ukraine, but also to Israel. Reports have shown that uh, the Republicans blocked this bill uh, at the orders of Donald Trump, who's uh, still not officially the Republican nominee. And recent polls have shown that Donald Trump is polling ahead of Joe Biden for, the, for a comeback to the White House. Um, so it will be, it's quite, it's a very serious possibility that has been growing that Donald Trump will become the, the next uh, president of the United States. What is the impact of a possible Trump comeback to the White House? You were just saying, you were saying that just now that uh, what unites Western countries is more than what divides us. Is it this the case if Trump comes back? Um, I think that... Um, uh... It's not easy to answer the first. The second, I had an experience uh, working with the first Trump, if to name that way. And he was frightening to leave NATO and to do that and other things. But it appeared that it is manageable, that we were able to explain him and to give the arguments for not um, being so aggressive towards NATO in the first meeting in Brussels, I remember well. 
Yes, it will, if he will appear again, it will be huge unpredictability for all the world. And I mean not only NATO, not only for the US, but for around security and geopolitical security for around the world. But what I want also to say that he's so predictable and predictable, not only for everybody else, including friends and enemies, but also for himself. He even do not know himself what he will do. And that's what will be dangerous on its own, but not manageable. From this point of view, I'm not very upset because what we're seeing now, even a year more or less before the change of presidents, already U.S. politics paralyzed, even with democratic leader in, in position, already paralyzed. So, And we're still managing. So from this point of view, it's only, again, says that Europe on its own will need to invest more into its own defense. And that's clear that some kind of regionalization appears. It's bad. It's not very effective, but regionalization, even in security, not only in trade, in the relations, but in security and defense, it's appearing in the world. And we see this around the world. And for Europe, it's more and more burden of taking responsibility after Second World War, finally, mainly by, by Europeans to defend ourselves. So that will be the case even, even if Democrats will win, not Trump. Because... Uh, American politics changed. American attitude to its role in the world changed. And from this point of view, no matter what the results of elections will be for Europe, it is large responsibility for our own defense. That's clear. And it's not only the leadership of the United States that will change. Uh, we'll also have elections in Europe with the far right um, looking to make very serious gains for the European Parliament. But of course, NATO leadership will have to change uh, this year. Um, who do you think will become the new Secretary General? Or who would you like to see? What I want to say that General Secretary's position is important very much. But final decisions in NATO and ownership of NATO is lies behind the member states. Finally, the leadership in member states defies the NATO leaders or general secretaries uh, actions finally from this point of view what most important is not who will be the general secretary in NATO but who will be uh, the heading of each uh, member state including United States so from this point of view what matters is political leadership in each country of NATO that's the most important I will ask again then, uh, very clear what you said, but who would you like to see uh, at the helm of the NATO as of uh, end of this year? Yeah, if I will be not being for 10 years myself as a president of country, probably I will be choosing the personalities and will say this I like and I'm not. But now, being uh, as a head of state and knowing how European Union works, how uh, European Council works, how the uh, NATO works, what matters is the people around the table, the head of states. That was important, really, not secretary, really. Okay. Last summer at an event at Friends of Europe, you said that our eastern border is not yet prepared for a full defense of our territory. Is this still the case? Uh, 
You know, I think that no matter how much you invest into your defense, even building defenses, the special anti-tank, uh, what we agreed on already with Baltic states to, to build some special enforcement of our borders uh, and so on. Uh, I think that if, if uh, such kind uh, rapid uh, military direct um, attack occurs, nobody's prepared because it takes first mentality uh, to be prepared. Theoretically, we're pre thinking that we're prepared. Uh, technically, of course, we're investing into security of our borders. But uh, the first hours, the first moments of the war usually uh, takes, uh, firstly, the mental and psychological preparedness to, to, to fight back. We saw uh, how long it took for Israel to react uh, to Hamas attack. We saw uh, how uh, fast... Uh, reacted Ukrainians uh, to the invasion invasion of, of Russians, oh, what Russia and even our all intelligence uh, institutions were not expecting uh, to happen in Ukraine. So nobody knows. In such a moment, uh, so many things will matter, not only readiness and preparedness in advance of, 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 of physical defense, but the firstly will be mental, psychological, and political will, not to be afraid, but to defend. Because in some uh, countries during the wars, there is no political will to defend. And I hope that uh, Baltic states after the uh, Second World War experience will not repeat the mistakes we did uh, before. And now we are mentally and psychologically preparing fully to defend ourselves from the first meter of our territory. That will be not the case that we will withdraw, no matter what uh, and how much it will cost damage and, and uh, loss of lives. And uh, yes, we're preparing, but we do not know how much time we have. And everything will depend what will happen on Ukrainian soil. So why I'm saying that our uh, um, goal to defend ourselves is to beat the Russians on the soil of Ukraine and to push them out from Ukrainian territory. That's our largest deterrence and larger investment into our own security. That's what we need to do very seriously. When we talk about European defense, we can talk about member states individually securing their own defense and preparing individually for for defense for for an attack or we can talk about defense as a collective effort that would be for example the responsibility of the commissioner the commission uh, there's been the idea for example of the eu commissioner for defense would this be a step in in your understanding in the right direction would you advocate for european defense to be concentrated in the european commission instead of each individual countries needs to be both, absolutely both, uh, because uh, Europe uh, can uh, do things uh, mainly to coordinate and to have uh, some kind of umbrella uh, actions, uh, but anyway, implementations will be uh, laid uh, as responsibility for the member states, but plus uh, it, on its own, uh, we need uh, to know our uh, specificities, our uh, border specificity, our psychology, our uh, mental preparedness, and it, it differs. It will be, be different in East Europe, let's say on the frontier with Russia and uh, more far, uh, deep into Europe will be again different understanding of it. So it needs to go in parallel. It needs 
needs to be both uh, the same function as NATO headquarters has. So no matter what uh, we agreed uh, to perform jointly, uh, each country needs to invest on its own also because of uh, its own specificities. Uh, and to take also responsibility. As in NATO, for example, there is not only Article 5 where uh, collective defense, but it is Article 3 also, which we're not talking, where it is obligation for each country to defend itself. So it's a lot of articles, are, and all of them uh, need to, to work, and we all of them need to uh, fulfill and to read. So from this point of view, I will argue very much uh, for uh, in European Union to have such kind of uh, position, because it will not only be involved in purely military preparation, but especially will coordinate our defense capabilities to be uh, revived and restored, especially having in mind that the war is changing very fast. It's modernized uh, from the point of view that we're going uh, more and more for new uh, military tools and equipment and uh, uh, from heavy uh, military equipment towards even laser uh, equipment and, and uh, this makes uh, war maybe a little bit cheaper, faster, more efficient, but it takes a lot of te technological investments into such kind of new warfare. And this could be a perfect uh, position uh, for Europe to coordinate uh, the, uh, and to invest even into such high, high uh, technologies, which are expensive. And on European level, it's easier to do, especially because smaller countries cannot afford it. From this point of view, I think that there is huge uh, possibility for such kind of position uh, in future to, to help us uh, to prepare for the collective defense and individual defense. Madam President, thank you so much. Thank you for staying on that side and listening to my conversation with Ali Griboskate, former president of Lithuania. As always, you can tell us what you thought of today's episodes via Friends of Europe social media channels. Don't forget to subscribe to Friends of Europe's podcast to never miss an episode. I'm Katerina Villanova and I will be with you again next week. <laughs> <laughs>